Welcome to The Heart Zone, featuring George Cannon. This broadcast is a time of teaching and encouragement from Kerwinsville Christian Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us on the web at www.kerwinsvillechristian.org. And now for a message from The Heart Zone. Here's George Cannon. Romans chapter 16, we're looking, finishing up the issue of the transformed life. So here's what we've been doing. Over the last couple of months, we've been looking at God's Word because in Romans chapter 12, Paul said, I urge you, my brethren, by the mercies of God, what? By the mercies that were shown to you, by salvation, because you put your faith and trust in Him, that you now present yourselves, that as you give yourself to God, you say, God, here I am, use me where I am, in my neighborhood, where I'm at work, you use me, I'm yours. And then in verse 2, he says, don't be conformed to the image of this world. That is, don't just do what everybody else is doing, what the culture is doing, but rather you be transformed, that is, from the inside out, from your inner being out, into the person that God wants you to be by what? The renewing of your mind. And how does your mind get renewed? But by God's Word. And so since then, we've been looking at each chapter after that, seeing how We are to become the people that God wants us to be. And so today, we're going to talk about a transformed focus. Because in chapter 16, Paul concludes his letter. He spent a lot of time giving some greetings to different people in Rome. But then he makes a couple of points. An exhortation, and then he gives a a benediction. He kind of praises God for something. And from those two things... We're going to see how you and I need to have a transformed focus. If we're going to live the life that he wants us to have, our focus needs to be different about some things. So I want you to notice with me, first of all, verse 17. We're going to skip verses 1 through 16 because those are just some personal greetings. But I want you to notice with me verse 17. And notice what he says here. Now I urge you, brethren, note those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned and avoid them. For those who are such do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. And by smooth words and flattering speech, deceive the hearts of the simple. For your obedience has become known to all. Therefore, I am glad on your behalf, but I want you to be wise in what is good and simple concerning evil. And the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly, and the grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. Amen. Now look with me at verse 25. Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery kept secret since the world began, but now made manifest, and by the prophetic scriptures made known to all nations according to the commandment of the everlasting God for obedience to faith, To God alone, wise, be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. From these two passages, as we conclude this whole issue of the transformed life, we're going to see what it is, actually three things here, that you and I need to do as far as having a transformed focus as we live the life that we've given to God. We're saying, God, here I am, use me. And here's what you need to do. Three things. Number one, he's going to talk about your focus concerning your spiritual enemies. And you have them. He's going to talk about your focus concerning your life with Christ, your life. And then he's going to talk about your focus concerning God himself. Some things that you've got to keep in focus as far as God. So let's look, first of all, verse 17 and 18. 
and we'll see the issue concerning the issue of enemies. Notice what he says, verse 17. He says, I urge you, brethren. Let me just stop for a moment. Just there in that phrase, I urge you. Paul's not just making a simple suggestion. Paul is trying to get your attention. He's trying to make a point here. He wants you to listen to what he's going to say. And here's what he's going to say. Listen to what he says here. Note those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you learn and avoid them. The first thing I want you to notice is this. Beware of those who stir up strife. Beware of those who stir up strife. He wants you to realize that, listen, first of all, he... he, he wants you to understand that the church is not a building. Everybody understand me. When we talk about a church, we're not talking about a building. In our American mindset, in our Western mindset, we have this concept of a building. That's not what a church is. When you look at what the church is, for instance, comes from the word ecclesia. It means assembled ones. It is the people. The church is the people. Understand? If the building were the burn down, would that be the end of the church? Hopefully not. It's still the people. And, and part of the aspect of the people is that there needs to be unity. As you're unified on certain things, the gospel, Jesus, the scriptures, the life that he wants you to lead, you and I need to have a focus where we're going to be aware of those who would come into our assembly, come into our family, because that's another description of the church, is a family, who would come into our family and what? Cause problems. In fact, notice what he says here. He gives a pretty interesting command here. He says that you are to note those. Now, what do you think that means? You're to mark them down in your mind. Oh, we better be careful of that person. We better be careful because they're teaching something that isn't right or, or they're causing a problem in this way. We need to be careful. He's saying note. You, need, you and I need to be aware that there are those who will cause strife. Let me just stop for a moment. You might be saying, well, do we really need to be aware? Man, things are going really well here at the church, George. We're just one big family. and Yeah, but you know what? We're just primed for something wrong to happen. We're just primed for something wrong to happen because I want you to be aware of something. You may not be aware of it. You may not even believe it, but you need to. You have some spiritual enemies. Paul says in Ephesians, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but what? Against principalities and powers of the air. You have spiritual enemies, seen and unseen. Seen and unseen. And they want to destroy your church, your family. They want to destroy your actual family. My friends, you have an enemy that wants to destroy your marriages, who wants to destroy your kids. And it's time that we wake up to the reality that we live not just in a physical world, but we live in a spiritual world. And the reality is you and I need to beware of those who would cause problems. Beware of them. So we need to have a focus in which we are beware of those. Why? Because look verse 18. He tells us why we have to be aware of those kind of folks who might cause a problem. Because notice something. Look at what it says here. Verse 18. For those who are such do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, what? But their own, what? Belly. Here's the point. They're only concerned about themselves. See, to have a biblical framework, to have a biblical mindset, listen to what the Bible calls us to. This is the mindset that Jesus calls us to. Jesus calls us to not to come into this place thinking about what I can get. Jesus calls us to come to this place and talk about who can I help. Did you understand what I'm saying? Jesus calls us to sit because the person right next to you may have a need and you're able to meet it. 
Do you understand what I'm saying? It may simply be just a note of encouragement. Hey, I'm thinking about you this week. I know you're going through some difficult things. And that's all they needed was to somebody to know that somebody cared. To know that somebody cared. And so the focus of a church is unity and, and selflessness. But one who causes division, one who comes in to stir up strife, who are they focused on? Themselves. And notice something. Paul even says this. They're out to satisfy their what? Their own bellies. Now, specifically what Paul's talking about here is false teachers. That what you might have a false teacher or a false pastor or a false church leader come in specifically. And everything he's doing is for his own. We have lots of leaders on TV. And they live way beyond what you live. But they keep asking you for more, don't they? It's like, when's enough? When's enough? And so that's the point here. He wants you to understand that they're concerned about themselves. They're just concerned about themselves. You know, it doesn't even have to be a TV preacher. How many of you have been involved in a church where there was a problem in the church, some sort of strike? A lot of us have, haven't we? And when you think about the people who were really fussing and fuming and, and just expressing themselves, it really came down to not the issue of what can we do to bring us all together. It came down to the question of who's right. And they fight it out to the end because... They want to prove what? That they're right. And who cares how many bodies are laying on the wayside? How many people get hurt? How many people go through difficulty? They're concerned about themselves. And notice there's one other characteristic that you and I, if we're going to have a, if we're going to have a transformed focus concerning our spiritual enemies, he tells us one other thing we need to be aware about them, and that's this. Notice verse 18. And by smooth words and flattering speech, Deceive the hearts of the simple. Here's the point. They deceive others. They deceive others with flattering words. Let me just stop for a moment. I'm a pastor, so I can say this. And in our circle of churches, how do we normally select a pastor? We usually, if, a, if let's say I leave or die, you guys are going to be looking for another pastor. And the normal thing is, is what happens is you put a committee together, and you send for resumes, and they bring a whole bunch of resumes, and usually with the resume comes a sermon tape. Used to be a tape, now it's probably a CD. Or in our computer age, you can probably even download an MP3 from somewhere. And everybody, they pass around the sermon tapes, and they listen to how the pastor, what? Preaches or speaks. And then after a while, they look at his resume and say, oh, well, you know, he's got a good resume. And he's a good, what? Preacher. So then we invite the guy to come so that we can hear him, what? Preach. And he gives us his best, in, in pastoral circles we call it a sugar stick. He gives us his best message. I'm revealing some secrets, ain't I? Okay. Alright. He gives us his best message. And then the next week we vote because everybody else, all we've heard is him, what? Preach. Sounds like we're setting ourselves up, aren't we? Listen to what Paul says. And by smooth words and flattering speech, deceive the hearts of the simple. Now, simple here, can I be honest with you? It's not the foolish. It means the simple in the sense of maturity. It means the innocent. They have not yet grown wise. Which, can I be honest with you, is most folks in church today. And what happens is the very means by which we get a pastor today is the very means we got to be careful of because we could open ourselves up for what? A problem. Deception. 
And let me be honest with you, not every pastor, just because he has a degree, not every pastor, just because he's ordained, does not mean he's a man of God. And you've got to look more than just at his preaching. You've got to look at his life and his character. You understand what I'm saying? So you, you and I, we've got to have a transformed focus concerning our spiritual enemies. He then moves on 19 and 20 and talks about a transformed focus concerning your life. Some things you've got to consider concerning your life. Here, look at verse 19. For your obedience, he says to these Romans, Christians, has become known to all. The next thing I want you to know is let your life be known to others. Let your life be known to others. Live your life in such a way that people will look at you and say, hey man, there's something different about you. What is it about you that's different? And you can say, well, because I love God. Now, let me just stop for a moment. I'm not talking about you becoming... When I say, let your life be known to others, I'm not saying that all of a sudden now, you've got to get the big family Bible off the coffee table at home, for those of you who have one, and start carrying that to work, or putting it in, I, I, I was in Dubois a couple weeks ago, and there was a guy, he was just driving as slow as molasses, and you know, and I, I looked in the back, and there was his Bible, I said, well, there's a Christian guy, old guy, but then I noticed it had two inches of dust on the top of it, so it had obviously been there a while. And I said, yeah, he's a Christian guy, because he's not reading it. But let your life be known to God. What does that mean? How you live your life, let it be known to others that you are a follower of what? Jesus Christ. See, that's what Paul was saying to them. Paul was saying, look, for your obedience, what does that mean? Your obedience to God, you doing what God tells you to do, has become known to all. Everybody around you knows, Paul says, that you're doing what's right. You're living according to the way that God wants you to live. See, that's the point I want you to see. When you and I have a transformed focus, when it comes to our life, we're going to live our life so that it is known to others that we're Christians. And you know what? You don't even have to speak to let it be known. You don't even have to tell people you're a Christian to let it be known. Live your life in such a way that your life is known to others around you. Live your life in such a way that your life is known to others around you. Not just your words, because you and I have worked with Holy Joes, haven't we? Guys who can quote the Bible. Guys who can get offended at things. But then you notice how they really live. And the way they live doesn't match to what they say, does it? The way they live doesn't match what they say. And guess what? They have no credibility at all, do they? No credibility. Let's go on. He says this. Seek wisdom and purity. Notice, therefore I'm glad on your behalf, but I want you to be wise in what is good and simple concerning innocence. My friend, I want you to put a star by that verse. If you and I are going to have a transformed focus in this culture today, you need to learn this verse. Paul said, I want you to be wise in what is good. You know, we've got a lot of folks that want to be streetwise, don't they? They want to know how to operate in this culture. They want to know, they want to know all there is to know about stuff. But I'm going to be honest with you. That's not what the Bible calls us to. The Bible doesn't call us to that. The Bible calls us to be wise in what is good. And notice what it says. And to be simple, that is to be immature, to be innocent concerning what is evil. Not the opposite. You know, every one of us has a tendency towards evil. And because of that tendency towards evil, let me be honest with you, you do. You and I have a bent to do what's wrong. We have a bent towards sin. And so Paul is urging us here to what? Seek wisdom and purity. 
Seek wisdom and purity. I'll never forget Jack Wirtson, the late Jack Wirtson, the founder of Word of Life in Scroon Lake, said this. He was in an interview and people were saying they wanted his opinion concerning pornography. And they said to him, Jack, why don't you just look at this magazine? He said, no, I don't need to look at that magazine. I don't need to lift the cap on the sewer to know that it smells. My friends, some of you are lifting caps on sewers because you think you're going to gain wisdom that way. You need to be innocent concerning evil and be wise concerning wisdom, what is good. you understand? So the transformed focus is not, listen to me, the transformed focus is not just that I am aware of the, I have spiritual enemies, but also that I live my life in such a way and as I live my life in such a way, I'm seeking what is good, but I am staying away from that which is evil. Seeking what is good, but staying away from that which is evil. Here's the other part. Not only am I to live my life in such a way like that, I'm not just not just to seek what is good and, and, and avoid what is evil. I can do that because of verse 20. Notice what he says. And the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. Isn't it interesting? He just spent just two verses of saying to you and I, we need to be aware of our enemies. Then he says, live your life. Live your life out. He's commending them for living their life out. He's telling them to what? Embrace what is good. Stay away from what is evil. And then he gives them a promise. And here's the point. Hold on to the promise. Hold on to the promise of God's victory. Here, Here's what he's doing. Here, if I just said to you guys, I don't want you lifting sewer caps. You say, well, that's good, George. But it's awfully tempting. It's awfully tempting today with the garbage that's out there. I don't know that I can do it. Here's what Paul says. You hold on because Satan will soon be crushed. You say, it's been 2,000 years. I understand, but God's timing is a little bit different than our timing, isn't it? But you hold on. You hold on knowing that God's going to give you the victory. He'll give you the victory. He will overcome the enemy. Hold on to the promise of God's victory. And notice something here. The third focus that I want you to notice is in verse 25 through 27 concerning God. Notice what he says in verse 25. Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery kept secret since the world began, but now made manifest and by the prophetic scriptures made known to all nations according to the commandment of the everlasting God for obedience to the faith. Two things I want you to notice now about our focus concerning God. Here's the first one. Praise God for his work in your life. Let's be honest. Can we be honest? It's one thing for you and I to be aware of the enemies. It's one thing for you and I to be focused on our life and doing what's right and living in the promise of the victory that God has given us. But when it comes to this focus on God, this is the one that we lack in. You say, what do you mean, George? Let's be honest. You and I can go day by day and never even acknowledge God. Never thank Him. Never praise Him. Oh, we'll cry out to him when we got a problem. Have you noticed that? We're quick with the prayers. We're quick with, Jesus help me. But when he does help you, when you didn't even ask for it, do you praise him? When he provides for you, do you thank him? When you wake up in the morning, your eyes are all puffed up, but you're drawing another breath, do you thank him for another day? When you sit down at your table, or when you crank the car and the engine goes because you got gas in it, Do you praise Him? 
Paul said, now to Him, meaning to God. His praise was to God. Because what we're looking at here, these three verses, are called a doxology or a benediction. He is praising God. And so, listen, if we're going to have a transformed focus, we've got to have a transformed focus concerning God. And we've got to put God back where He belongs in our lives. And that's back on the throne, praising Him for who He is and what He's done in our lives. I think part of the problem with us as Christians today is that we just look at Him as a benevolent benefactor, that He's there when we need something, but we just go on every day without Him. But He's something more than that. He's awesome. He loves you. He died for you. So you need to praise God for His work in your life. And be honest, He does work in your life, doesn't He? We may not recognize it sometimes. We may not see it. But He does. Notice one other thing He says there. And we see this. It's basically, He takes two verses to explain it. And that's this. God established you. God established you. Here's the other thing you need to focus about your life. See, here's this thing. Can I be honest with you? There is a lie out there that you're just basically on your own. You're just basically on your own. It's just up to you. You need to make decisions in life. You're just on your own. And if you don't take care of you, nobody's going to take care of you. Isn't that the attitude today in our culture? Isn't that the culture? But Paul here, he's going to praise God, and here's what he's going to praise God for. He's going to praise God specifically that he has established them, the Roman Christians who are reading this letter. And you and I can take from that, we can praise God because he has established us. He has firmed up the foundation in our life. He has He has settled us based on three things. And here's the three things. And listen to these three things because this is important. If you and I are going to be settled and established in our life, we need to have these three things. Notice what the first one is. To him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. The first thing is Jesus. Salvation through Jesus Christ. The first thing is Jesus Christ. He has established you in the gospel the free gospel that salvation is by faith alone and trust in Jesus Christ alone and not because of anything you've done or haven't done. Do you understand? Your acceptance with God is not based upon what you are, haven't done, who you are, who you're not, but based upon Jesus alone and what He did on the cross for you. So He established you in that. But then notice the second thing, and here's the important thing. Listen to what He says, because you're probably going to wonder. According to the revelation of the mystery kept secret since the world he can't. Here's what the second one is. He's established you not just in Jesus, but He's established you with the church. What? Where'd you get that? I didn't see that in that verse. Turn over with me to Ephesians chapter 3. Paul explains this. Again, Paul writing, he wrote the letter to Romans, writing in Ephesians chapter 3. Look with me at verse 3. Now let's go, let's look. For this reason, verse 1, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard the dispensation of grace of God, which was given to me for you, how by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already, by which you have read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of man, as it was known, was now revealed by the Spirit to His holy apostles and prophets. And here's what the mystery is. Verse 6. That the Gentiles... Who's the Gentiles? Anybody know who the Gentiles are? Us. What does it say? Should be fellow heirs of the same body 
and partakers of His promise through Christ, through the Gospel. Here's what He's saying. The church. With Jesus, He established something new. The people of God in a new identity. The church. So let's go back there. So He's established you. He settled you. He has secured your position by giving you three things. The first one being Jesus and the Gospel of Jesus, the death, burial, and resurrection, salvation. The second one now, the church. And let me just stop over. There's this attitude out there that says, well, you know, I can worship God in the woods. Yes, you can. I can just stay home and watch so-and-so on TV. Yes, you can. But you're not going to be the complete person that you need to be without interacting with a group of what? Believers. That's the church. It's not coming to a organization, but it's being a part of what? A family. That's how He establishes you. We need each other. We're created relationally. And the third thing that He's established us in, look at what it says there, verse 26, but now made manifest and by prophetic scriptures made known to all nations according to the commandment of the everlasting God. What's He saying here? The third thing is His Word. His Word. See, those three things, the issue of salvation, belonging to a body of believers... Being in His Word. That's how He establishes you. And so, when we focus on God, when we have that transformed focus, we need to not just praise Him for what He's doing in our life. We also need to realize that He has given us three things to establish our lives so that we can live in this world. What has He given us? Jesus. The church. His Word. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that an awesome thought? You say, okay, George, what do I do with this? Three things. Number one, recognize you have real enemies. Recognize that you have real enemies. Can I be honest with you? You have enemies. Some of you say, yeah, I know them. And you even got a name in your name, your head right now. Yeah, but I'm not just talking about physical human beings. You have spiritual enemies. And they are out to destroy your life. And you need to be aware of that. You need to have that focus. You know, there are times when Lloyd and I, we were like really irritated at each other. We may even be conflicting, having some of that intense fellowship, if you know what I mean. And and uh, we're sitting there and and we'll say, why are we fussing? It doesn't make any sense. I mean, it's trivial. And we'll realize, you know what? We have an enemy. Recognize you've got an enemy. Recognize that. The next thing, live a life of wisdom and purity. Live a life of wisdom and purity. Live your life in such a way that you're holding on to what is good, but you're avoiding what is evil. Live a life of wisdom and purity. You and I need to make that a goal. If we're going to have a transformed focus, our focus needs to be that way. And then finally, allow God to establish your life. Allow God to establish your life. So how do I do that? I'm going to allow God to establish my life in three areas. I'm going to allow Him to establish my life in my relationship with Jesus. I'm going to allow Him to establish myself in my relationship with the church body, the mystery that He described it as. And I'm going to allow Him to establish me in His Word. In His Word. Thank you for being with us this morning. We trust that today's message has been both challenging and an encouragement to your heart. Before we leave you today, 
George would like to share some special news about an upcoming event. Friends, I want to tell you about an upcoming five-week series at the church called The God Questions. Starting October the 18th, we'll be looking at the tough questions that many are struggling with today. Questions such as, Is God real? Is the Bible true? And that really big question, Why does God allow suffering? We'll be addressing these questions in the morning service at 1045. We'll also have a question and answer forum at 6 p.m. to discuss these questions in detail. It's our hope that you'll be able to attend this series. For more information about the series or any other information about the church, feel free to visit us on the web at www.kerwinsvillechristian.org. On behalf of the church family, we hope that you'll look to the Heavenly Father in all that you face this coming week.